bow the knee, and lift our eyes towards heaven. What a great message. Thank you, choir. I've given the message uh, for today the title, The Devotion of the Unknown. And I was reminded about the unknown when three and a half weeks ago, Kathy and I drove by the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Alexandria, Egypt. Then last week in our local newspaper, there was a notice giving an opportunity to remember our troops serving in Iraq by placing a small ad on a special page that's going to run on December 24th of this year. In 1937, an unknown author wrote a short essay entitled Our Soldier Unknown. And I'd like to read just a few of the lines that he wrote. He writes, Over in peaceful Arlington, across the Potomac, he rests. Our soldier unknown. His last fight fought. His last journey ended. And within hallowed stone, his tired body sleeps. Safe for all time, but his lofty spirit quickens with the years and the responsive hearts of all Americans, symbol of sacrifice and service. As I further thought of the unknown, I reminded myself that a great deal of God's work in the world is done primarily by a large army of unknown people. If there were a national directory listing all the names of the people devoted to serving God, I suspect that many on that list would be unknown to us. You know, the church does have its stars, people with high visibility, names that are very familiar. There are distinguished authors, great preachers, pastors of large churches, and yet, many of these same people would affirm that the cause of the gospel is greatly served by the tireless devotion of the unknown. If you have your Bibles, <clears throat> please turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 11. Now, to find Nehemiah, you find the center of your Bible, which, which is the Psalms. And then you move over Job. Esther, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 11. And just a few verses, actually two. Verses 1 and 2 of Nehemiah chapter 11. <clears throat> now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem... But the rest of the people cast lots to bring out one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine-tenths remained in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. Now turn lastly to Second Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 16. 
of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you on his own accord. And we have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. May God bless his word to us. You know, we didn't read much of chapter 11 of Nehemiah because it just doesn't lend itself to being read in public. It contains a list of names and more names and still more names that are almost unpronounceable. You know, it's not a list of the who's who, but rather, who in the world is he? You know, it seems to be a list of the unknowns. And these unknowns, as we shall see, are of particular importance in the service of our God. And they represent a massive force that makes this part of the Word of God really exciting, believe it or not. Many, not many of us, I suspect, read Nehemiah chapter 11 as part of our morning devotions. But, you know, this morning, I would like for you to think in this chapter a little bit differently. In the passage that we read from 2 Corinthians, I would like for you to please notice verse 18. Because there in verse 18, there is an allusion to a very devoted Christian whose name, for some reason, the Apostle Paul doesn't mention. He is simply called by Paul, the brother. The brother. Instead of knowing him as Adel Ackle, how would you like to know him as the brother? He's the brother. Not a bad title, actually. Uh, the brother. You know, his name is not immortalized in the pages of scriptures. He is one of the unknowns who served God. And yet, without these willing unknowns, no leader could really fulfill his calling. And I'm grateful for chapter 11 of Nehemiah with its obscure and forgotten people. Because it reminds me again of the importance of the devotion of the unknown, without which the work in most churches would suffer greatly. You know, the attitude of a great number of people is captured in this piece of poetry by W.S. Gilbert. And it goes like this. If you wish in the world to advance, your merits you are bound to enhance. You must stir it and stump it and blow your own trumpet, or trust me, you haven't a chance. In Richard Bolt's play, A Man for All Seasons, Sir Thomas Moore tries to get Richard to be a teacher. But Richard wants Moore to give him a more prominent office so he'll be visible. So when Moore says, Richard, be a teacher. Richard answers, but who would know? And Moore replies, God would know and you would know. Quite a public, that. 
A conductor of a great symphony, sym symphony was once asked, what instrument do you think is the hardest instrument to play? And the old conductor thought for a moment and he said, second fiddle. <laughs> he says, I can get plenty of first violinists. But to find one who can play second fiddle with enthusiasm, now that's a problem. But if we have no second fiddles, we have no harmony. Is it okay to be a second fiddle in the service of God? But who would know? Well, God would know and you would know. And of course, the other problem is to play second fiddle with enthusiasm. But without that second fiddle, there is no harmony. And I wonder how many churches suffer because few people want to play second fiddle. And I wonder how many churches go on without harmony because of all the potential second fiddles who want to be first fiddles. How many churches suffer because those who have the position of first fiddle really ought to be second fiddles? You know, uh, interesting questions. And lastly, in these little illustrations, you may remember the Peanuts cartoon in which Charlie Brown is telling Lucy what he'd like to do in life. He said, I would like to be a world-famous, humble country doctor. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. There are two things I want us to think about in Nehemiah chapter 11. First, I want us to notice the deeds of the unknown. What they actually did in Nehemiah's day. And secondly, I want us to notice the implication of being a devoted unknown. So let's look at two things. The deeds of the unknown in Nehemiah. And I want to uh, have you look once again at Nehemiah chapter 11. I hope you know where to find that again. There are five specific groups of people in this chapter who willingly gave something, even though their giving remained anonymous. Let's reread verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, but the rest of the people cast lots to bring out, to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine tenths remained in the other cities. And the people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. The first group included all those people who came to live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was sparsely populated, just a few people here and there. Very few people living in the city by itself. And you ask yourself, here is Nehemiah wanting to build a wall around Jerusalem. But it was a city of rubble. Why build a wall around a city of rubble with very few inhabitants? And why weren't there very many people in the city? 
I believe there are se- several reasons why there were not very many people in the city of Jerusalem. <clears throat> First, there were few people because the city was defenseless. There had been no wall for about 160 years, and it was a dangerous place to live in. That is probably the same reason why the inner city of our large cities have relatively few middle-class people. Moraga, the city that I live in, prides itself on being one of the safest places in the United States. And why is that? Because we're the town at the end of the cul-de-sac. There are very few exits out of Moraga. And those that would do harm, I imagine, have taken that into consideration. Not very many exits out of this town. Stay away. Another reason why Jerusalem was not populated was because Jerusalem was ugly at this time. There was debris and rubble all over the place. And some suggested maybe it was a dumping ground. And it had been that way for about 160 years. Three or four times in our city of Moraga, we have what is called Moraga Beautiful Day. And we all gather our junk and put it on the, uh, uh, on the curb and the big trucks come and pick it all up and take it away. And uh, most of us would, choose, would not choose to move to an ugly place in the inner city. At least I don't think so. Thirdly, Jerusalem was uh, sparsely populated because people preferred to live in the suburbs. Surprise, isn't it? And those people that lived in the suburbs had built spacious and lavishly furnished homes away from the city according to the book of Haggai. And that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? And we have moved to the suburbs. It's much nicer out here than in the city. And the Lord blessed the volunteers and those who... uh, were unlucky or lucky enough to uh, draw lots that said, uh, hey, you, it's your turn to move to the city. And one out of ten, ten percent of the people in the suburbs had to move to Jerusalem to repopulate this city. Kind of interesting. Uh, these were the unknowns. Not necessarily volunteers, though some of them uh, maybe were, as... Uh, we have suggested in verse 2 that there were some volunteers. But here are, are the unknowns moving to the center of the city. And a large portion of the church today could not function without a paid staff. And so here at uh, San Ramon and in Sun Valley and other churches, we have volunteer elder pastors. We have volunteer deacons. We have volunteers on so many church committees, volunteer Sunday school teachers, volunteer youth workers, and so it goes on and on and on. Volunteers. And the work of God is uh, enhanced and advanced because we have these volunteers. Some of the volunteers unknown. Interestingly, here in verses 1 and 2, Nehemiah doesn't name the volunteers. Who are they? We don't know. They're the devoted unknowns. Interesting. 
The second group mentioned is in Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 10 to 12. And there's a few interesting names there that I'll try to pronounce. Verse 10. From the priest Jediah, the son of Joyarib, Jachin, Sarai, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshulam, the son of Zadok, the son of Marioth, the son of Ahitab, the leader of the house of God, and their kinsmen who performed the work of the temple, 822. And I'm going to stop there. Their associates who carried on the work of the temple, 822. I'm kind of glad they didn't write their names out in the, in the text here. It would take a long time to get over those names. But uh, these don't get their names mentioned at all. These 822 people served the Lord with the temple. 822 devoted unknowns. And these people did the work of God with their talents and their gifts. And the very number, 822, tells you that there was a lot of things going on in the temple to uh, use, utilize that many people. 822. Lots of things going on. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you know who prepares the communion table every Sunday? Do you know who bakes the uh, communion bread every week? Do you know who types and runs off the bulletin monthly? Do you know who helps arrange the social events? Do you know who, are, who the greeters are who stand by the door every Sunday? 822 men in Jerusalem. Maybe not quite that many here, but a group of people, men and women, who serve God willingly. It's the devotion of the unknown. These kinds of things and a whole lot more just don't happen automatically. There are people who do this service for God willingly. And I suspect they don't care to be paraded necessarily before us. And may the Lord himself bless you all, the devoted unknown. When I think of the many unknowns serving the Lord, there is one person in the New Testament whose name, whose uh, practice is known worldwide, but we don't know his name. We normally call him the Good Samaritan. Who was he? Don't know. He was a Samaritan. And what did he teach us? He taught us to love our neighbor and how to love our neighbor and who is our neighbor, the Good Samaritan. There's another young person in the New Testament whose name we don't know, but who did a wonderful service for God. He's the little lad, and that's all he's called, the lad, the little laddie uh, who uh, donated his loaves of bread, and a few fish. Wasn't that wonderful? Unknown. His name is not in the bulletin. You'll not see it there. But he's one of those unknowns that God used and, and used him to bless over 5,000 people. Isn't that wonderful? The unknown. The third group mentioned is in verses 15 and 16. 
And I'd just like to look at those for just a moment. Now from the Levites, and we have a number of names mentioned, and some more in verse 16. And Mattaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, who was a leader in beginning the thanksgiving at prayer. Here we have a man who is described, whose job description is, he is the leader in the beginning, the thanksgiving at prayer. Now, there's a great job. Great job. Uh, he led the people in prayer. He was a man who got on his knees and prayed. And I suspect that uh, many of the things that occurred and, and blessed uh, Jerusalem and the nation of Israel were because of men like uh, Mattaniah. And there he prayed. And there were all those others, unknowns, that prayed along with him uh, for Jerusalem and for the country. How many here knew that Matt and I even existed? I sure didn't until I reread this passage. Well, the Bible says he was a leader. Where? On his knees. Was he important? Believe it or not, he probably was a major cause for the success of the temple. When I was a lot younger in a church in Oakland, two older ladies one day came to me and said they had committed themselves to pray for me on a daily basis. That was one of the most moving moments of my Christian life, to hear that kind of commitment. And what a great ministry to commit yourself to pray for somebody every day. And, uh, yeah, I, I can see those two dear old ladies in my mind's eye. And they're telling me that. Another group is in verse 22. Now the overseer of the, of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Mattaniah, the son of Micah, from the sons of Asap, who were the singers for the service of the house of God. The chief office or overseer of the Levites was a man by the name of Uzi. Uzi. Have you ever heard of an Uzi beside the Israeli machine gun? <laughs> I know two people named Aziz, but I have never met an Uzi, either the gun or, or an individual. Well, what did he do? Well, he was from the sons of Asaph. The singers for the service of the house of God. What a great thing. These people willingly sang for the glory of God. Just like our choir here just a, a few moments ago sang for the glory of God. And uh, I understand they, they were up early this morning practicing before six or, or right around six o'clock practicing. And in a little while, they'll be uh, delivering the, uh, uh, the Christmas message in song. Singers for the glory of God. And all of these willingly gave their services to God. 
Now, I want you to notice also now in verse 24 for another one. Pethaliah, the son of Meshazebel, of the sons of Zerah, the son of Judah, was the king's representative in all matters concerning the people. Good old Pethaliah. Did you notice what he did? He was the king's representative in all matters concerning the people. I don't know whether he was an ombudsman, you know, someone who took the complaints of people and who, uh, who, who helped out, uh, but he was a representative. He took the people's desires, the people's wishes, the people's complaints, and he brought them before the king. Uh, what an important position. A good old Pethaliah. We need a lot of Pethaliahs uh, in the service of God. Well, what are some of the implications of being a devoted, unknown servant of God? And first of all, some question. Is it okay for you to be an unknown servant of God? Is it okay with you to be unnoticed as you serve the Lord? This means there is no applause. There are no acknowledgments necessarily. No sitting on the platform. No standing behind a podium like this one. Well, if this is the case, please allow me to share with you some of the great truths of the Bible. First of all, your gifts make you valuable, although not necessarily famous. One may never reach the spotlight, may never hear the applause of men, but you are as valuable as Mataniah or Uzi or Pethaliah. Actually, the Scripture teaches that every person is indispensable and the church depends on each person's doing its work. If either you or I fail to use our gift in the local church, the church is diminished and the entire body of Christ suffers. We are all necessary in the body of Christ. Secondly, every labor of love is remembered by God. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, a great verse, says this, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love with which you have shown toward His name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Who will know? God will know. He is faithful and He will not forget. So who will know? He will know. He will know. One's work for God is never forgotten. God never overlooks our deeds including the cup of cold water given in His name. Thirdly, our final reward will be determined on the basis of faithfulness. The public may never know of our ministry, but that will have nothing to do with final rewards. God never checks an applause meter. He doesn't check with public opinion polls to determine what our rewards are going to be. I'm sure glad for that. 
And lastly, the quiet, devoted, unknown saint lives a life that is best described by the word authentic. Authentic. This person is real. He doesn't do it for what he can get out of it. Whether it's personal praise or whether it's uh, some monetary thing. He's authentic. He's real. I learned a little proverb in grammar school that uh, maybe I shouldn't be too proud of because I had disturbed the class and uh, the teacher was going to teach me a lesson. And so I had to stay after school and write on the blackboard 50 times, still water runs deep. And then another one, empty barrels make a lot of noise. Yeah. I never forgot that. I learned a lesson. I learned a lesson. Boy, particularly that one, empty barrels make a lot of noise. I didn't like that one at all. Well, I trust that you'll be encouraged as you serve the Lord. And I trust that you'll receive the affirmation of God Himself and experience a deep inner sense of joy and peace and satisfaction that you are serving the living God. The Apostle Paul wrote this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Isn't that great? That what we do for God is not in vain. It counts for something. And God will reward that person uh, who serves Him. Well, we've been talking about the devotion of the unknown. I've been talking about Christians. About an individual who at some point in his life is life's experience said to the Lord, Lord, I want to be in your family. Lord, I want to serve you. I want my life to count. Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I come to you for forgiveness. Uh, these people I've been talking about at some point have said something like that. And uh, perhaps there's someone here this morning who, uh, as we've been talking about serving the Lord, serving uh, in an unknown fashion, uh, uh, I don't know how you feel about that. But those who are believers get a great deal of satisfaction knowing they serve the living God. And you too, turn your life to Christ. And uh, you have uh, just a wonderful job. There was a man who was asked by one of our presidents to be the ambassador to Japan. Not a small job. And the man turned it down. Why? He says, the job isn't big enough. The job isn't big enough. He says, I serve a living God. And that job fulfills and satisfies. And so I'd like to say to any here who don't know the Lord yet, to serve the Lord 
is a great honor. It's a great privilege. It's a joy. It's a satisfaction. I remember when I left business a number of years ago to serve the Lord full time, some folks asked me, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to teach in a Bible school in Southern California. And then they said, well, how big is the school? And I said, oh, we have 40 to 60 students. That's it? That's all? And you're going to give your life for that? I said, yes. Yes. I'm going to give my life for that. It's a joy to serve God. And uh, Kathy and I have proven God since 1972 to this day. Without salary, God has been faithful. And uh, we bless His name for it. Let's all just bow together as we uh, close this morning. And as we thank God for His faithfulness, for the uh, joy of serving Him, even though perhaps in an unknown fashion. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord to give you thanks for the privilege, for the high privilege, for the high honor of serving you. And Father, we do pray that you would encourage some folks here this morning who serve you, uh, who don't receive applause or the adulation of people, but Father, they serve you and we give you thanks. So Father, bless this fellowship of your people, uh, those who serve in various capacities in various places and in various ministries. Lord, would you encourage them. And for those, Father, who still don't know you, we, we trust that uh, uh, they will have learned something this morning that the God who Christians serve is a God who is worthwhile serving. And so we commit each person here this morning to you and give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.